And Father, that's why we're here this morning. That, that's why we, we come to your word, uh, because we need to hear you speak. We, we need your guidance. We need your care. We, we need your wisdom. And so, Father, we pray that now as we, we come to your word, that, that you would give that to us. May, may you speak to us and speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us. And if we're here this morning and we need words of comfort, give that. If we need words of correction, give that. If we need words of strengthening, Father, Father, give that through your word this morning. We pray that anything that, that is going on in our minds and our hearts or even in this building, Father, that could distract us from, from hearing what you have to say, we just pray that you'd push that all off to the side so we could hear you speak clearly and powerfully this morning. Father, we ask that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. As I mentioned, we're in um, the middle of a series through the Lord's Prayer. So if you have Bibles with you, or if you want to pull a Bible out, from the underneath the chair in front of you. You can open up to Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. The, the passage will be up on the screen, but sometimes it's good just to have your own Bible with you in front of you. And like I said, we're only looking at a portion of it this morning, um, but we'll be having the same passage for our, uh, our Scripture reading um, every day or every Sunday throughout this series until the very end. So Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Um, I was talking to somebody this last week who was walking in, in a 4th of July parade. And at one point in the parade, they were in conversation with someone. Uh, one of the spectators kind of got distracted, got separated from their group. And so once the conversation was done, they kind of hopped back in the parade with the next group and was kind of going to work up, get back up to their group. And the group that they hopped in with at the parade was a, a group of pro-life advocates handing out pamphlets kind of marching for pro-life. And this person was happy to walk with them. They wanted to, they were like, sure, I'll walk with them. I'm willing to promote that life begins at conception. Uh, but what this person said they didn't realize when they started walking with this group was the amount of hostility and anger that was being directed at them. They said, I've never felt that before in my life, the hostility. Um, and they said that actually there, there were parts of walking with them where they were, they were actually fearful and scared for their own safety because there was so much hostility towards this group. And, you know, I, I realize that, like, the pro-life movement is kind of a religious thing. It's become a very politicized thing, which has caused it to have more heat, more anger, more hostility. But, but it is one of those things that it's kind of a basic foundational Christian teaching, Right? That life begins at conception and that life is valuable. And, and in our culture, increasingly, people are not only hating the teaching that that's true, but 
there's hostility against the people that, that hold that kind of teaching. And, uh, and even, not just that, I mean, just there's a lot of other, right, basic foundational Christian teaching that, that the culture is becoming very hostile toward and hostile towards Christians. And, and with this, over the years, um, to be honest, most of the history of God's people have been in times that were probably worse than we're experiencing right now. And, and one, of the, one of the stories that's been really on my heart for the last few years, really, is, is Moses. Um, because Moses grew up in, in Egypt, right? And Egypt was definitely hostile towards God's people. And, and not only did Moses grow up in Egypt, but he was a prince of Egypt. And in those kind of cultures, when you're a pharaoh or a prince or a king, you are called to be the epitome of what it means to be that country. So the king or the pharaoh in Egypt was the epitome of what it meant to be Egyptian. And his family was called to be the epitome of what it meant to be Egyptian. So, so Moses had this expectation on him to be an Egyptian of Egyptians. And yet he didn't fall into that. And, and the question is, how did, he, how did he remain faithful in the midst of all of that pressure for him to become an Egyptian? And, and Hebrews 11 tells us. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So how was Moses able to kind of withstand those pressures? Well, it says he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Uh, That's a line I would encourage all of you to memorize and to meditate on regularly. Because Moses saw Christ and saw him as valuable and worthy, and he said, you know what, that's more important than all of the wealth, all of the pleasures of Egypt, in light of seeing Christ, all of that other stuff means nothing. It's worth nothing to me. Um, he was able to reject all that other stuff because he said, I'm holding on to something that's more valuable than anything that Egypt has to offer me. I'm holding on to Christ. That's how he was able to stand firm, remain faithful. That's how we will be able to stand firm and remain faithful. Fearful, and he says, here's what you need to do in that situation. Honor Christ as holy. And honor Christ as holy, not with your lips, but in be kept holy, or let your name be treated with reverence. That's, it's helpful. Um, but, but it means more than that, to pray, hallowed be your name. And it's also important, I can't spend a lot of time on this, but it's important to remember, when we talk about hallowing God's name, we're, not, we're talking about more than just a name. Um, it's not just the, the words coming out of our mouth. The name of God represents the attributes of God. It, it represents his character, who he is. And so, when think of Exodus 33, when Moses says, Show me who you are. Show me your name. Tell me who you are. God goes before him and says, I'm a God 
with steadfast love and mercy. He starts naming off all of his attributes. That's his, his name. Um, it's who God's revealed himself to us through his word and throughout history. And, and really, kind of, it's a simplistic way to understand it, but it's helpful. When we talk about the name of God, God's name represents him. And so when we're talking about God's name being made holy or reverence, we're talking about God himself, that God would be seen as holy and, and reverenced. And, and I think to help us understand that, like what does it mean um, for God to be seen as, as holy or, or reverenced, it's helpful to look at the opposite of that. What, what's, what's the opposite of hallowing God's name? Can anybody think of a, a passage of Scripture that talks about the opposite of God's name being hallowed? It's the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Right? That's the opposite of hallowing God's name. It's to take his name in vain. And, and to understand the word vain, it's helpful to remember back, I don't know, that was quite a while ago when we were in Ecclesiastes. Remember Ecclesiastes said, vanity, vanity, all is vanity, right? Uh, and a lot of translations would say, translate that as meaningless, meaningless. Everything's meaningless. Uh, and the third commandment saying, don't treat God's name as if it's meaningless. Don't treat God himself as if he's meaningless. But it's more than that, even. Um, what, I remember when I preached on the third commandment a while ago, I, I realized that the, na- the word vanity in that actually means worthless. Don't, don't treat God's name as if it's worthless. Or don't treat God himself as if he's worthless. And it's not just about using the... I mean, definitely don't say God's name in a curse word because that's treating God's name as if he's worthless. But also don't live, speak, act as if God himself is, is worthless. Like he's not worthy of your time or attention. Like he's not worthy of giving your, uh, devoting your life to or following. That's why when the catechism says... Um, part of when we pray, hallowed be your name, is we're praying, help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. And it's reminding us that we can blaspheme the name of God by the way we think, not just by the way we speak, and also by the way we live. We can blaspheme the name of God when we think, speak, and live as if God's not worthy of our time or our attention, or not worthy of every aspect of our lives. Um, and, you know, to go back to what I was talking about at the beginning, this is, this is really why the world lives the way that they do, right? Because they don't think, they think God is not worthy. They, they treat God as if he's worthless. They don't care about what God has to say. They don't care about what God has to say about how we should live or how we should understand the world he's created uh, most of the world lives as if their greatest reward, their highest, most valuable thing is here and now uh, on this earth. That's what's most valuable to them. And, and to say it even more bluntly, probably, most people 
actually live and act and think that they're probably the most valuable things. And God's not really that valuable. Um, And what's sad is, because we live in this culture, it starts to seep into us as Christians as well. We start to, we start to live and act and think in ways that treat God as if he's not as worthy as he really is. And we start to think that we're pretty worthy and God's maybe not as worthy. And so it's one of the reasons why Jesus, when he tells us to pray, and we're supposed to pray this way daily, he says that right away at the beginning of your prayer, you need to pray Hallowed be your name. Lord, make your name great. And before I dive into that a little bit further, it's important also to recognize that there's nothing we can do to actually make God's name holy or make God great because he's already holy. (laughs) He's already great. He's already supremely worthy, supremely valuable. So, what we're doing when we're praying, God, make your name great or make your name holy, we're praying that, that the world would actually recognize God for as worthy and holy as he really is, as he already is. And uh, in a lot of ways, we're praying this, this short parable of Jesus. He talks about the kingdom. He says this, The kingdom of heaven's like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found out and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. See, the treasure was already in the field. The field was already worthy. It was already supremely valuable, but nobody knew it. And all of a sudden, the man found out how worthy and valuable that field is. And so he said, that field is worth more than anything else that I have. I'm going to sell everything I have so I can have that field. That's what we're praying when we pray, hallowed be your name. That we would see God as that valuable. Worth more than anything else. The world has to offer. Willing to give up everything we have in order to have that treasure, that field. Just like Moses, we want, we consider the reproach of Christ greater wealth than anything the world has to offer. That, that's the difference between taking God's name in vain and, and hallowing God's name. To, to take God's name in vain is to treat God as worthless, not worth, more important, more valuable than, than anything else. Even if I lose everything, I'm, I'm still following him because he's worth more to me than, than everything that I've lost. That's what it means to pray, hallowed be your name. And, and that has to happen in our hearts as Christians before anybody else in the world will ever actually begin to see God as being supremely valuable. Um, Because if Christians don't live and speak and act as if God's supremely valuable, more valuable than anything the world has to offer, supremely valuable, more valuable than anything the world has to offer, um, why would the world ever think that God's valuable? Um, and, And as Peter reminded us at the beginning, we need to not just talk that way. Talk is cheap. We need to live that way. It needs to be deep down in our hearts 
that we believe at the core of our being that our God is more valuable than anything else that the world has to offer. And then, when we believe deep down in our hearts that he's the treasure in the field, then it has to change the way we live. Because now he's more valuable than all of your money, your nice house, the promotion you were seeking, or even the approval of all of the people who are mocking you. He, no, he's more valuable than, than all of those things. And then, when we start to live that way, we increasingly live that way, because it's not going to happen overnight. As we increasingly live that way, then the world begins to see something different in us. And then the world says, their God must be really valuable because of the way that they live, the way that they speak, the way that they think. Um, and that's what Peter says. He says, in your hearts, honor Christ as holy and then be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that's in you. Do it with gentleness and respect. But be ready. People are going to see that you're living differently, that you're living as if, if God is supremely valuable. And they're going to say, what is it? And you have to be ready to say, well, actually, following my God's way more important than this job. So I'm willing for that job to go away. Following the reproach of Christ is more valuable to me than, than your mocking of me, your approval of me. So I'm going to follow him and, and not you. We have to be able to explain that. I'm doing this because I see my God as supremely valuable. And, you know, this is at the beginning of our prayer because this is what we are created. This is how we are created to live. This is our, this is our reason for life. Um, the, the Westminster Catechism is not one that the Christian Reformed Church uses, but we like it a lot. Uh, the Presbyterian Church uses it a lot. But the very first question in it is, what's the chief end of man? I spelled that wrong. What's the chief end, E-N-D, of man? Which means, what's our purpose of life? Why are we here? And it's the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why you were created. That's why you were put on this earth, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And another way to say that is to see him as supremely valuable and find joy in that. And then tell the world that he's supremely valuable and that they should find joy in that. That's why we're here. And that's got to shape not just the way we live, but it has to shape the way we pray. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones had this great line. I had to, had to share it. He said, when you come to God, says Jesus, in effect, even though you may be in desperate conditions and circumstances, it may be that you're coming to him with some great concern on your mind and, and in your heart. Even then, he says, stop. For a moment, just recollect and realize this, that your greatest desire of all should be that this wonderful God, who has become your father in and through me, should be honored, should be worshipped, should be magnified amongst the people. That has to shape our prayers. It's a reminder at the beginning. It has, we have to be reminded regularly, this is not all about us. Even when we come to God in massive amounts of pain and difficulty, we need to stop and say, even before I ask you for healing, I have to say, let your name be glorified. 
You're worthy, even if I'm not healed. You're worthy. Do what will glorify your name. And then we tell other people about that. And, and then the rest of our prayers are that way. We get to your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us today our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us our debts. All of that has to be with the understanding. Please do all of these things so that your name would be glorified. Give us today our daily bread so that your name would be glorified. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins so that your name would be glorified. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one so that your name would be glorified and made holy and great among the nations. This is, that's why we're here. Um, another passage that's been on my heart a lot is this, this was the Apostle Paul's mission. He said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Apostle Paul says, I had a lot. I had status. I had power. I had education. I had all of those things. But the moment I saw Christ and the salvation that he gives me by faith, everything I had seemed like nothing. I sold it all, and I bought that field. He said, my only focus from here on out is to comprehend the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and to gain Christ and to grow in that. That was his focus, to do that in himself and then to go out into the world and help other people understand the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and to gain Christ. That was his only goal, his only focus. That's our goal and our focus. That's why we're here on earth is to do that. Comprehend the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Help others comprehend their surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And that has to be our prayer if we're going to ever be able to stand firm and remain faithful in a hostile world. It's the only way we'll stand firm is that if we daily pray, Father, help me see you and your Son, Jesus Christ, as supremely valuable that they're worthy more than anything else the world has to offer. Daily prayer, pray that we would be able to consider the reproach of Christ greater wealth than anything the world has to offer. Daily pray that that we would be able to keep our eyes on Christ, that we'd keep following him and that we would value him above our job, our money, our cars, our whatever. And then we just keep our eyes on him in the midst of whatever comes our way. Trials, mocking, persecution, difficulty, any of that, that we would keep our eyes on him because he's valuable. And then help the world around us to see that. See how valuable our God is. You should give your life to him too. That's what it means to pray, hallowed be your name. Let's come to him in prayer.
Heavenly Father, it's incredible for us to truly come into your presence, especially when we take a moment to even try to comprehend how holy, righteous, powerful, great you are. We're reminded that we don't even deserve to come into your presence. We don't even deserve to stand before you. And yet we can because of what your son has done for us. So, Father, we're thankful for that salvation that you've offered. We're thankful that you've opened up a door for us to be able to enter into your presence, to be able to come before you. And, and Father, the first thing we want to say is we're sorry. We confess that we don't offer more valuable than we pray that you'd forgive us, that you'd cleanse us, that you'd renew us, that you would restore us, and that your spirit would begin to work in our hearts and our minds and in our lives, and that you would, you would change our hearts so that we would truly see you as supremely valuable, that we would honor you as holy and worthy in our hearts. Father, help us to live that way. Help us to think that way. Help us to speak that way as if you're more valuable than anything else this world has to offer. Shape our hearts daily to see that more and more. Open our mouths to speak that daily in the world so that the world would come to know you for who you truly are as more valuable than anything else in all of creation. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.